Okay. Billahi Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Today we're going to begin with Surat Al-Fatiha. Surat Al-Fatiha is the first surah that was revealed in entirety. It forms the beginning of the Qur'an al as well as the beginning of Salah. The Mufassirin write that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent an unknown number of revelations and scriptures. However, every single thing that is contained in all of the scriptures is encompassed in the four major scriptures, which is the Torah, the Injil, the Zabur, and the Qur'an. Then everything that is in those four is in the Qur'an. Obviously, the Qur'an is in the Qur'an. There is nothing of value in the Torah, Injil, or Zabur, except that it is in the Qur'an al-Karim. Then they continue that the khulasa of the whole Qur'an is in Surah Al-Fatiha. The central theme and the message of the Qur'an al-Karim is all encapsulated inside the themes of Surah Al-Fatiha. Then all of the themes of Surah Al-Fatiha are included in the beginning, in the tasmiyah, in the bismillah. And all of the themes of the bismillah are in the first harf, which is ba. <laughs> now why is this? The reason for this is, is that the purpose of all ilm, all wahi, is to connect or attach a person to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To make a person reach this common level of tawheed, that they reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time in ita'at, obedience, ibadat, worship, dhikr, remembrance. And ba in the Arabic language comes for ilsaq. Ilsaq means to attach something. So when you say bismillahi, what you're doing is you're saying that I attach myself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The whole purpose of the Qur'an is that very attachment. The whole purpose of all wahis was that very attachment. The whole purpose of Fatah is that very attachment. So even that first harf with which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to begin the Qur'an al-Kareem, Ba is giving us an incredible message. The second use for Ba is Ba comes for Isti'anat. Isti'anat means that seeking the help, seeking the nusrat or madad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in that case, then the tarjama bismillah would be that I seek the help, I'm a complete fakir, complete muhtaj, completely dependent on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If a person realizes that dependency, that itself is also submission. If a person realizes that need. When we read it, however, right, in addition to these meanings, when we read how there's a third meaning that ba also comes for qurb, but that's related to the meaning of isaq, that I am qareeb to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is ar-Rahman and ar-Rahim. And a fourth meaning is baraka that I begin this book, right, in terms of my tilawat. So the book itself begins by telling us to connect to Allah in ilsaq, isti'anat, and qurb. But when we recite the tilawat of the book, we will say, aqra'u bi barakati ismillah. That I'm beginning to recite with the barakah of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the theme that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions elsewhere in the Qur'an, that the name of Allah, His ismi azam, His ismi jalal, His ismi dhat, right, is full of barakah. And therefore, it's the teaching of the Prophet ﷺ that every single matter or affair that we do should begin with the name of Allah. So, and obviously the most azim affair is wahi itself. The most greatest thing is tilawat in the kitab. And that is why all surahs except one, which is surah al-Tawbah, all surahs begin with this tasmiyah. Why is it not there in surah al-Tawbah? Some of us say that so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to show that it's not absolutely mandatory. However, that one Bismillah was missing in Surah Tawbah, it comes elsewhere in the text of the Qur'an, it's part of the letter of Bilqis, right? And you have the same phrase, Bismillah inside of the Qur'an itself. It is Sunnah that whenever we recite the Qur'an, it's wajib that we have Zahari Taharat, that you have Taharat Badan, that you have Wudu. 
And it is sunnah to recite the ta'awuz, which means a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajim to seek refuge in Allah from shaitan the accursed, and to recite bismillah. Otherwise, to recite bismillah before anything is sunnah. But to recite a'udhu billah is only sunnah from the Qur'an. There might be other times you say a'udhu billah if you feel that shaitan is sending some waswas or some whisper on you, you might recite that to save yourself from his whisperings. But in terms of an action or a reading, you don't begin, for example, if you're reading Bukhari, you're reading Hadith, you won't say a'udhu billah in it. But you will begin with the bismillah. Ism. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has an ism. The ism leads to the musamma. Ism means name, musamma means the being that is named. Now you will know that if you really know somebody intimately well, all somebody has to do is take the name of that person, and that name triggers everything about that person in your heart and in your mind. Right? Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to know Him, not just His name. Right? But because knowing him directly initially was abstract, was beyond the reach, the zarf or the wustat of our intellect or even our heart. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us that we should come to him through his name. Right? And he has given many names in the Quran, the Kareem is Asmal Husna, but those are sifati names. Those are his attributes. And this is his zati name. And according to many scholars, this is that isme azam that the Prophet mentioned that anybody who makes dua using the isme azam of Allah, the greatest and most noble name of Allah, his duas will be accepted. So that name is Allah. So we begin in the name of Allah. However, as the introductory ta'aruf, Allah subhanahu chooses two of his attributes as our introduction to him, as our reminder of him, as the preface for every surah of the Qur'an. Right, except that one exception I gave you, which is Surah Al-Tawbah. What does that mean? That means that I begin the talawat of this Qur'an, or I begin the talawat of this surah, with the barakah of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with the niyyah to get ilsaq, to be connected and attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and knowing and reminding myself throughout when I read this, that Allah ta'ala's ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, He will be able to help me to do amal on this, if I see anything in there, maybe some mention of some sin that I have, or some mention of some sin that causes punishment. Well, I know that I began with the fact that Allah is Rahman Rahim, so I know that through reading and studying this Qur'an, I can get myself out of that. This is a book that I can submit myself to, and it's Allah's mercy. Number one, that He sent this book. It's Allah's mercy, number two, that He's letting me read this book. And number three, it's only and only going to be due to the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I'm able to internalize this book and submit my heart to this book. Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim, both of these words in Arabic are what we call Sigatul Mubalagha. Mubalagha means the mm, exaggerated form or the intensive form. Both Rahman and Rahim refer to intense mercy. The difference between these two names is that Rahman means that being who is all merciful, who possesses infinite mercy, who is the epitome of mercy, who is mercy incarnate. And Rahim is the being who infinitely dispenses that mercy. Not just dispenses the mercy, not just the mercy giving, but is as infinite and absolute in dispensing and showering that mercy as he is infinite and absolute in possessing that mercy. So these are two separate things because sometimes a person might have an incredible amount of wealth, but he doesn't dispense it, he doesn't spend it, right? So Rahman and Rahim, both from the same root, which is Rahamin, Rahman saying that Allah subhanahu has all the mercy and Rahim saying he is going to give all the mercy. Both things 
give us incredible umid or raja, incredible hope. Number one, that our Lord is a being, our Allah, our God is a being who has not just some mercy or a lot of mercy or a massive amount of mercy. Allah Ta'ala is a being who has infinite, limitless, boundless mercy. That itself is a, is, gives us an incredible amount of hope. And secondly, that not only does He have it infinitely, but He gives it infinitely. He showers that mercy infinitely. That gives us incredible hope. He is the infinite dispenser of infinite mercy. That is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And that is the first and foremost way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to know Him. The Prophet had also mentioned in a date that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to mention these attributes of His on His Arsh. That He has written that His mercy is ghalib on His wrath, on His Arsh. So that is the qaida. Right? That the doors of maghfir are always open, the doors of tawbah are always open, the doors of forgiveness and repentance are always open. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins the text of Surah Al-Fatiha, Alhamdu. This is now in the third person. This is a declarative statement. This is not us speaking. We are not addressing Allah. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala making a statement and we recite that statement. The alif lam in the Arabic language is what we call the definite article. It's equivalent or akin to what you call the in the English language. So a book and the book. Kitab and al-kitab. Kitab is a book, al-kitab is the book. Alif Lam in Arabic comes for four different things. And two of them are mentioned over here. Two of them are intended over here. The first is jins. Jins means the entire genus, the entire category. So Alhamdu would mean all praise, every category of praise. Right? Lillahi belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The whole category of praise. And istighraq means every fard. Every single element of that set. So if you take Alif Lam for istighraq, the translation will be, every single praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you take Alif Lam to jins, it would mean that praise itself is due only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Praise itself, the jins of Hamd itself befits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And both meanings are intended. And this is also to show you a little bit the power of the Arabic language. When the Arabic is nuanced, it doesn't mean a single meaning is there. That is why Allah subhanahu wa chose to reveal this Qur'an in Arabic because the Arabic is a language that can contain multiple meanings simultaneously. That's what makes it robust, that's what makes it rich and multi-layered. So alhamdulillah, after the translation, now there's no English way we can do that. Either you make it a long sentence and say praise itself and every single praise is due to Allah. Then you can capture the, English, the Arabic. Most translators pick one or the other, but the Arabic has both in there. Hamd. Hamd is different from shukr. Hamd is, is much more exalted than shukr. Shukr means simply to be thankful, to be grateful, to offer thanks. Hamd is something even more than that. Because thanks, you're going to give thanks if you get something. right? Even if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never given anything to us, He's still worthy of hamd. Even before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created humanity, created creation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has always been mahmud or the object of praise or praiseworthy. Because his praise lies. Certainly part of the reason we may praise him is because he is generous, because he gives us things. But his praise ultimately is in his being itself, in his zat. It's the nature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his divinity, his godhood is what makes him praiseworthy. Right? So alhamdu means, alhamdu means praise. Lillahi. Lam here comes for ikhtisas. Lam means it's khas with Allah. So all praise or all praises or praise itself are khas with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
What does that mean? Now, we may be thinking that, look, well, sometimes we praise one another. Sometimes I praise someone. Sometimes somebody praises me. So is that wrong? Right? That's not wrong. When anybody is praising us or when you praise anything, in essence you are praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because when you praise anything or anyone or any idea or any feeling, all of that is creation. What enabled that creation to be praiseworthy? That was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself. So at the higher level, at the first level, praise itself belongs only to Allah. But at a second or third level, we may praise one another for different characteristics we may see in ourselves. The next word Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses here is Rabb. Alhamdulillahi, Rabb. So it means that first Allah ta'ala introduced us to his Isma azam Allah. Then two of his sifat, Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. And then he chose number four, that we should know him as Rabb. What does Rabb mean? Rabb refers to that being who is your nourisher, who nurtures you, who nourishes you. In Urdu you would say, Palnewala, Parvash Karnewala, your cherisher, your sustainer, your upbringer. Allah Ta'ala's sifat of rububiyyat means that Allah Subhanahu doesn't just create something. That's his khalq. After he creates something, he nourishes it. He cares for it. He takes care of it. So when Allah Subhanahu is saying that I'm your Rabb, that is also one reason to praise him. Because Allah Ta'ala has done kamil tarbiyah of us. He has raised us, nurtured us, nourished us in a completely perfect way. However, in this verse, Allah Subhanahu is going to say something which is extremely am. And that that Allah Ta'ala's Rabbil Alameen. Alam means world. It's very rare that you find this word used in the plural form in the Arabic language. But here in Surah Al-Fatiha, Allah Ta'ala is using the plural, the Jama Alameen. Which means Allah is the Rabb of all of the worlds, all of the universes, the angelic realm, the jinn realm, the human realm, the animal realm, the physical realm, the spiritual realm, the emotional realm. Any way you can cut it, any way you can think it. There is not a single thing that is outside Allah Ta'ala's makhluk, and there's not a single makhluk that is not also received as rububiyyah. So it's not just the khaliq. He's created everything, and He nurtures and sustains and guides everything. So He's the Rabb of the Alameen. Then Allah Subhanahu repeats over here, right, uh, Uh, some people have taken this notion that these three letters, Ayn, Lam, Meem, there's another word that comes from this. One word is Alam, the second word is Ilm. The second word is Ilm. All you have to do is change the harakat. You move the fatah, you move the zabr on the Ayn to the bottom and you make the Lam sakin. You get from Alam to Ilm. So what is the relationship of world to knowledge? So the notion here is an Alam or an Alam is something that is known. That is something that is ascertained. So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that he's Rabb al-Alamin, he's also saying he's the Rabb of everything that is known. Another way some of us have taken is that all creation, everything in the Alamin, has ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every single thing intrinsically knows him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this elsewhere in the Quran by saying, وَإِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ إِلَّا لِيُسَبِّحُوا بِحَمْدِ That there's nothing in the universe except that it does the tasbih and hamd, except that it praises and glorifies Allah. The entire universe, whether it's animate, it's inanimate, it's the planets, it's a rock, it's the birds, it's a leaf, every single thing. In fact, in the entire universe, there's only one thing that does not do the tasbih and the hamd of Allah. 
and that is a ghafil insan. Humanity is the only creation that's been given the ikhtiar, the choice, the freedom to remember and the freedom to be neglectful, the freedom to obey, the freedom to disobey. So the entire, and the jinn, so in the entire universe, we're the only ones who can have even the ability to fall outside of that ayah, that every single thing that did thus be hum. So it's quite daunting then, and we should be humbled by that and think that why in the world would we want to exercise this freedom and fall outside the remembrance and the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another nisbat between alim and ilm is that when you reflect upon the alameen, when you look upon the worlds, you will get ilm of Allah. Because the signs of Allah are there in His creation. Right? So He is Rammal Alameen and He has placed ilm of Him, ilmullah, He has placed knowledge of Him, manifat of Allah, inside all of the alameen. And that is part of his rububiyah, or part of his tarbiyah, part of the way he nursed the world, is that it contains signs that lead to him. The reality is, is that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows how extensive and vast these alamin are. We only know what we call the known universe, or the physical universe. Allahu a'lam, Allah is more knowing as to how many other worlds or universes he may have, how many dimensions or planes of existence they may be. Now, when we look at this, there's one thing in the alamin, and that is that everything in all the worlds is united in this fact that it is makhluk. Everything in this world is united by the fact that it is the murabba, that Allah Ta'ala is its rub. So therefore, all things will lead back to Allah being the rub, and due to that ububiya, everything leads back that Allah Ta'ala is worthy of praise. Because it's that being that is the rub of the alamin, obviously that being, is the one who has exclusive right or is khas mustahik of hamd. Because he is the rub of the entire alameen. And hamd here now can be taken to me praise through love, through worship, through obedience, through remembrance, through prayer, through supplication, through recitation, etc., etc. Right? All of that now is going to funnel back into Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah subhanahu wa chooses to repeat his these two names. He says, Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim yet another time. Another thing to mention is that Ar-Rahman is an exclusive word that is only used for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, you can never take the name Rahman. You can take the name Rahim. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioned, for example, that the Prophet is the Rahmat al-Alameen. Or he is referred to parents as having Rahmah towards their children. Right? So the word Rahim can be used for somebody, but Rahman cannot be used for any being except Allah. If anybody wants to use that as their name, they would have to say Abdul Rahman. So you can say Rahim, Rahim Baksh, Rahimuddin, all of that is fine. You cannot say Rahman Baksh, Rahmanuddin. You have to have izafat, you must relate the word Abd to that. The question here is that why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is repeating a Rahman and Rahim over here? Right? So know that in the Qur'an of Kareem, some words are not just to give us information. If they're being repeated, there must be some new information being given to us that has some rabat or some connection with what just came before. So what's happening over here is that Allah SWT is declaring that He is the Rabb of the Alameen and is mentioning here that not only did He create, not only did He choose to be His Rabb, 
But the nature of his rububiyah is that his rububiyah is based on mercy. So above in the Bismillah, we learn that his zat, Allah himself, in his own essence, in his own being, the rahmah is dominant there. Here Allah Ta'ala is repeating it to know not just myself is rahmah dominant, but in my nisbat with the alameen, with all of the worlds, in the khalik makhluk relationship, in the rub of the relationship, rahmah is also dominant. So in the way that I, tarbiyah of, I do tarbiyah of the alameen, my mercy is, is dominant. So that infinite mercy of mine and that infinite mercy giving of mine, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, is there in the way I do parvarash, I do rububiyah of the alameen. Therefore it is repeated over here. So we have to for Allah, Rahman, Rahim, and Rabb. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues, Maliki yawmin So the next attribute, sifat of himself he reveals in the Quran is Malik. Malik. First mutlaqan, Malik means master and owner, it means both things, master, owner, and possessor. To own something so completely, that not only is it completely in your possession, but is com- your complete master over it. For example, I might own something, but for some reason I might not have mastery over it, I'm not able to do everything I want with it. I own this laptop. If Shahab asked me to reconfigure this laptop, I don't have that mastery over it. I don't have that malika over this laptop. My malika is in the external, the keyboard. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala owns everything and He has complete sovereignty, complete malika, complete mastery over everything that He owns. So mastery, sovereignty, ownership, possession, all of that is there in this world. And again, in any tarjima, English or Urdu, the mutarjim is going to pick one. But the Arabic is containing all of those meanings. All of those meanings. And generally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is malik. But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is specifically saying, right, that He is Malik of the Yawm al-Deen. Right? Malik of a particular day. What is that day? Yawm means day. Deen means deen. But you will never see anybody translate this as the master of the day of religion. You will always see in a translation the master of the day of judgment or the day of resurrection or the last day. But pretty much everybody will stick to judgment. Right? The Urdu translation will say Yom Al-Qiyamah. Al-Qiyamah is another word, an Arabic word actually, used in the Qur'an Al-Kareem to refer to the last day. First of all, <coughs> this word deen means a complete way of life. You can call it religion. means a complete teaching. Deen means the complete message and teaching that is contained in the Qur'an and Sunnah. Now why is the day of judgment being referred to as the day of the deen? That is the day that, number one, the deen will be of benefit. That is the day, number two, that the haqqaniyat of the deen will be manifest to everyone. And elsewhere in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the kuffar, if you don't accept now, there will be coming a day in which you will realize that this is the truth. It is better if you accept it as the truth now, rather than wait for that truth to dawn on you on the day. What is the truth? The haqqaniyat of the deen. The veracity and the truth of the deen. So number one is the day that the deen will only and only the deen will benefit. Number two, it's the day that the deen will be manifest. What will be zahir on that day will be to what extent any of us had any thought look or to what extent we submitted ourselves to this thing called the deen. Similarly in the Arabic language, once again, if you change the harakat, all of these words, all words in Arabic language that are derived from a root, you have different derived forms. Those different derived forms have some relationship with one another. That's why we're changing the harakat. 
If you take the word din and replace the kasra with the fatah or the zair with the zabra, you get dain. Dain means a debt or a loan or an obligation. So that means that yomuddin is the day in which we are going to repay our debt and obligation. The deen has nisbat with the dain. Deen means that you've been given a dain, which is a loan of life. And deen is the way to discharge that loan. And on the day of judgment, we will be judged as to how, to what extent, we discharge that dain, that loan, with that life, according to the deen, the teachings of the Quran and Sunnah. So that is yomuddin. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, now what does this mean? Because Allah said He was the Rabb of the Alameen. Now somebody would ask, but Allah ta'ala doesn't intervene all the time. Right? Certainly I know that He is a Malik of the world, but there are many things going on here that are against the will of Allah, against the wish of Allah. So how is He Malik? So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done is another attribution mentioned, that is His hilt, that is His forbearance. Allah ta'ala has absolute milk and kudrat on this world. But he has chosen to restrain that and to give us the freedom. Otherwise, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to have maintained his complete mulukiyat, his complete sovereignty and mastery over us on this world, there would be no way anybody could disbelieve. There's no way you could disobey. It wouldn't be possible. Just like that's not going to be possible on the day of judgment. When Allah ta'ala manifests his entire mulukiyat, it's not possible for anybody to do anything but obey and submit. So Allah Ta'ala is the rub of the alamin. He has nurtured it. He has created it. Right? But for us, for the insan, and this book is a pigham, is a message for insan. This alam that you are in, which is the dunya, our worldly life, our physical worldly life on earth, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala has chosen to suspend some of His kudrat and give us the power to do what we want, to choose, to make choices, to do actions, to choosing, doing, thinking. Right? But on that day, lest a person think that well Allah subhanahu is Rabb and He's Rahman and He's Rahim, so it's all looking good. Allah subhanahu is saying that no, there's a day coming. And on that day, Allah Ta'ala's complete mastery and sovereignty will dominate. Liman al-mulkul yawm. Allah subhanahu wa elsewhere in the Quran that who will have the mulk on that day? On this day, do what you want because you've been given that freedom. But on that day, you will be called to account. So specifically the Malik, as for you and me, as experiencers of this deen, as experiencers of this teaching, we are going to experience Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Malik in the utmost sense when we are resurrected on the Day of Judgment. Then we will really know what it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Malik. But again, better that we live our life in this world now as if Allah ta'ala, knowing and submitting to the fact that Allah ta'ala is Al-Malik, therefore when we meet Him on the Day of Judgment, we would have been well prepared for that. Up till now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke in the third person. These were declarations. Now what happens is all of a sudden a shift in person is going to happen. And you're going to move to the first person in the Quran. What's the reason this in Arabic this is called iltifat? To shift from one person to the other. What is the reason for this? The reason for this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is actually trying to inculcate an emotion. And I've explained this to you several times before, that every verse in the Qur'an al-Kareem is intended to trigger an emotional reaction. By this point, just by saying, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, or by even saying, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, and Malik Yawmiddin. By coming to grips with these four statements, by submitting totally to these four statements, 
now the emotional state of a human being should be of complete servitude. He's completely gone now. He's ready to throw himself. So Allah SWT enables him to do that by shifting the Qur'an to the first person and then revealing, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ Oh Allah, you alone do worship. Now this is the person speaking. Before it was Allah speaking, so to speak, right? إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ It means that anybody who knows that there's a being called Allah, that the purpose of life is ba, is to be attached to Allah, to attain the qurb of Allah, to seek the madad of Allah, that that Allah is Rahman and Rahim, that He's infinite mercy, infinitely giving of that mercy, that He is the rub of all of the alameen, that He deserves all the praises and praise itself, that in His rububiyyah He uses His infinite mercy infinitely, and that that being retains mastery on the yawm al-deen, on the day that we will all be called to account, that's enough for a person immediately. Within a couple of lines, Allah Ta'ala sadaqarwana, ubudiyah, we're gone. The human reaction within lines of the Qur'an is complete deen. That's why they say Fatiha includes the whole Qur'an, includes the whole deen. Because it's done right there. The of the rub relationship is established within two lines. Iyaka. Iyaka means you and you alone. You exclusively. I've given up. After hearing this, two, two, these four lines, it's over for me. I drop everything. Nothing else has any meaning in my life, my own wishes, my own temperament, any ideology, any philosophy, nothing. I'm yours. Ya Allah, you and you alone, na'budu, we worship. And it doesn't, it's not, it's not mufrad, it's not singular. It's the plural, na'budu, we worship. Why? Because this is a collective response. That any human being who reads this, you're going to say it individually. But you're going to say it on behalf of humanity. You're going to be so amazed by this being after these four lines that you are going to be so submissive that on behalf of all humanity you're going to say that Allah, you alone can we worship. Now the second you do that, right? The second you do that, that Allah, I've made a huge pledge that I'm going to worship you alone. I'm going to obey you alone. I'm going to make you and you alone the determining factor of my life. What I do in my life is going to be based on you. What I say is based on you. What I think will be based on you. What I feel will be based on you. My outlook on life, my way of life, every second of my life will be based on you. Now that was an incredibly big thing to just do. We just made a dawah that we're going to be abd. So then a person is immediately shocked by what they just said. The enormity of what they said and the enormity of that being, the azmat of that being to whom they are proclaiming. So immediately they say, that there's no way we can do this part on our own. We cannot be your abd on our own. So not only do we pledge that you and you alone do we worship, we immediately afterwards say, and you and you alone do we seek for help. We need isti'anat, we need your help. We'll never be able to succeed. You're such an incredible being. And we're such feeble human beings. And although yes, we realize that your incredibleness means that the cause of that is we should submit. But we just can't, we're not going to be able to do it. As befits your majesty. How are we going to fulfill your rights? How are we going to fulfill the hukuk of ubudiyah? Right? So immediately the human shifts to iyaka nasta'in. And we all, again in speaking on behalf of all of humanity, that we are going to seek your help. Seek your help alone. Right? So we're announcing our intention, we're announcing our aqidah, we're announcing our belief. 
Here a question arises that somebody says that, okay, well, if the Qur'an says that we're going to seek help from Allah alone, well, I seek help from people all the time, right? Sometimes I ask so-and-so to help me. We ask Khuram to help us and plug something in, right? We ask people to help us. So is that going against this Qur'an in some way? So there are two ways of seeking help. There are two ways of seeking help, right? Number... Uh, there, first, let me do this. There are two ways of conceiving of help. The first is to believe that any being has the attribute, the ability, the kudra to help you. So in a kamil sense, in a perfect and absolute sense, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is that being who has the complete ability to help us. Anybody else who helps us, that's not because they may or may not be willing to help, they may or may not be able to help, they may or may not be successful in their attempt to help. That being alone who has complete ability to help, right? That alone is Allah. Because He has the complete power, the complete control, the complete ability. The second thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows on others on ghair the power to help. And that is what me and you do. So when we seek the help of someone, we're actually seeking an ability in them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed in them. Second way to look at this is what we call focal asbab and tahtal asbab. Asbab means this world is some kind, sometimes called darul asbab, which means a world of means. If you want to do something or get something, there's a mean, there's a process. It's a world of cause and effect. Things just don't happen like that. It's not a world of miracles. Illa mashallah. Mostly it's a world of cause and effect, right? So if you look at the sababi level, then there are worldly causes, just like Allah Ta'ala's al-Razaq, but there are asbab to get that risk. Just like Allah Ta'ala's al-Khalik, but there are asbab for procreation and for the creation of children. Just like that, Allah Ta'ala is the giver of help, right? But there are asbab through which that help will be received by us. So when we look at this world at the asbabi level, surely we take help from other things, or other people, or other beings. But at the focal asbab, above the asbab, beyond the asbab, the only and only being who can help us is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you look at your, you, you make use of your asbab, let's say you study for an exam. That's the asbab. You study. Now you're done. You've done all that you could. Right? Now you say, now let me look above the asbab. I can pray to Allah that Allah ta'ala give me success in my exam. Put barakah on my exam. That is the level that's beyond the asbab. So what happened here is that when we made that dawah, iyaka na'budu, that we pledged to be in the amd of Allah, we realize that the type of help we're going to need from this is not going to be just at the level of asbab. That obviously we'll get. Allah Ta'ala will send the Prophet There will be sahaba, there will be ulama, there will be mashayikh, there will be teachings, etc. But to be successful at this level of ubudiyah, we need that focal asbab level of help. Allah Ta'ala, we need your help. It's you and you alone who is going to enable us, right, to succeed on this path of ibadah. To become your true and sincere servant and slave. So then what happens is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then does that first help. That first help comes in the next line and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches us the first dua in the Quran. And that is, اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطُ الْمُسْتَقِيمُ اِهْدِنَا To make dua for hidayah. So Allah ta'ala is teaching us that how is it? What is that mother of mind that is going to come to you that is above the asbab that is going to enable you to be true in this pledge of yours of iyaka na'budu? That is hidayah. That is guidance. 
when Allah Ta'ala sends His Hidayah upon us, He's actually empowering us to become His Abd. Right? And that is a Hidayah that's coming from Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala directly. So this is the first and the most important dua and it's a lesson that we should always remember. That the biggest thing any one of us need is Hidayah. And nobody is beyond Hidayah. Nobody reaches a state. Even Rasulullah was making this dua. Every single mu'min and Muslim will make this dua as the most frequently recited dua in the world. This is a dua for the hidayah to be guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is hidayah? There are three types of hidayah. There are three types of hidayah. The first type of hidayah is what I'm just going to call level one hidayah. That is what you will call our instinct or intrinsic programming. For example, when a horse gives birth to a calf, that calf knows immediately to suck on the milk uh, of his mother. When a dolphin gives birth to a baby, that fish immediately knows how to swim. This is mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elsewhere in the Quran where it says, رَبُّنَا الَّذِي أَعْتَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلْقَهُ ثُمَّ هَدَى رَبُّنَا our Lord, our Rabb, is الَّذِي is that being. أَعْتَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلْقَهُ which is bestowed upon every single thing, it's takhliq has created everything. In other words, thumma hada and then gives it hidayah. This is the first level of hidayah. Right? A baby, a human baby has the hidayah that it knows to cry when it needs milk or it needs to be changed. This is an inherent hidayah. This has been given to all of makhluk and all of insan. That is the first level of hidayah. This is a hidayah based on our physical survival. Right? And for every other creation, this hidayah is sufficient for them to do that tasbih and hum that I mentioned to you before. And every other creation gets just this first level of hidayah, and due to that they spend their entire existence doing the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you can imagine what's going to happen to us when we get the second and the three levels, second and third level of hidayah. Second level of hidayah is formal guidance which is in the form of wahi, revelation, scriptural revelation which are text, the Qur'an al-Kareem, and non-scriptural revelation, which is the hadith, which is the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ. Right? So the Qur'an and Sunnah, kutub, books, rusul, messengers. This is the second level of hidayah. Now obviously these two types of hidayah mean you already have. When we're making this dua, ehdina sanat al-mustaqim, we're not asking Allah give us that basic instinct. We got that. And we're not asking that Allah Ta'ala send upon us a book and messenger. That's finished. That's finished, there's not going to be any more book or any more messenger. So there's a third level of hidayah. The third level of hidayah happens only after you accept number two. Once you have accepted Allah as your Lord, the Quran as your book, and the Prophet Muhammad as your Prophet, then there's a third level of hidayah. And that's what's being mentioned over here. And that means, and basically by saying you accept that, that is the level of hidayah for the mu'mineen. Iman is the shart to get this hidayah, right? And elsewhere, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're going to do that shortly, sometimes there are conditions to get different types of hidayah. This type of hidayah, and that's okay. Why? Because you just said, you just became a mu'min. Allah ta'ala described himself, and then when you said, that is your pledge of iman, that is khalis tawheed, that you and you alone do I worship. So you just became a mu'min. So you just became worthy of possibly receiving the third level of hidayah. So immediately Allah Ta'ala is teaching us that that's what you need to do. You need to make dua for that third level of hidayah. That is a hidayah that we ask for. 
right? And this is a hidayah that only comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, elsewhere in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet that, إِنَّكَ Allah tahdi man ahbabta. That verily you do not have the right to guide whom you wish. Tahbabta literally means hababa from Allah, who you want. It's Allah's sole domain. Even if the Prophet wanted to give hidayah to someone, Allah ta'ala told him in the Quran, إِنَّكَ la tahdi man ahbabta. It is not for you to determine who gets the hidayah or to give hidayah to that whom you love. Right? So this notion here now, when you move to du'a, another thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do when we move to du'a, is it becomes a very intimate relationship. Here we're staying with the plural, ihdina, as opposed to ihdi. That Allah ta'ala guide us. One reason again is we're doing this as a statement of akidah. A second reason is Allah ta'ala showing the hamdardi between the mu'mineen. That a mu'min doesn't just want that I should get this hidayah, this level 3 hidayah. A true mu'min has such love and compassion for his fellow mu'mineen that he wants to pray that we all get this hidayah. We all need this hidayah because we should all succeed because we all made this pledge. Not budu, that was also plural. So we all made this pledge, so we all need this hidayah, so we're going to make this du'a collectively. And obviously, right, Allah subhanahu wa knew that Surah Al-Fatih was also going to be used in a collective worship, which is the Salah in Jama'ah. Right? So there's a collective aspect there to this. Whether you're reciting Fatah and Allah has used the plural form, whether you're in the prayer, there's many messages here that it's a collective effort. So there's the creation of a consciousness of an Ummah. That we are the Ummah of the Qur'an, we are the Ummah of Sayyidina Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we are the Ummah of Iyaka Na'budu, we are the Ummah of Iyaka Nasta'in. And therefore we are the Ummah of Ehdina. Obviously, if you stop at Ehdina, there is mutlaq hidayah. But Allah subhanahu specifically mentions something, right, over here that we are going to ask for hidayah. What is it that we're asking for, right? Siratul Mustaqim. That we're asking Allah to guide us on the straight path. One other nisbah with the Qur'an to this first du'a is the Qur'an al-Kareem itself is the answer to this du'a. The first answer to this du'a is the Qur'an al-Kareem itself. The, all the revelation that's going to come after this. You can view if you wish that is an answer, is a job to this du'a. This is hidayah, all of it. Right? What is the sirat al-mustaqim? Mustaqim means straight and established. Straight, established, well laid out, clear, manifest. All of that is the word mustaqim. Right? Normally people would just say the straight. Sirat is path or way. Right? Sometimes it's also uh, a bridge. Right? So sirat means the straight, clear, well established, well founded way. And mustaqim here also means that we want that to be well established for us. We want it to be mustaqim for us. We want to be mustaqim on it. Right? So the word here is also showing us not only the nature of the path, but the nature we should have with that path. Which as you know is that our nisbat with that path should be one of istiqamat. That we should be permanently and well-founded, well-rooted, clearly, without any doubt, without any reservation, without any lack of clarity, but absolutely, clearly, conclusively devoted to this. Right? And we need Allah Ta'ala's hidayah to do that. Right? Because we're obscured. Sometimes it's the veils of our nafs. Sometimes it's the veils of shaitan. Sometimes it's the veils of fitness outside. There are all types of veils that come between us. And that's why we continually have to keep making this du'a to come back to the salatul mustaqim.
Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now goes back, uh, goes and He describes for us what this Sirat al-Mustaqim is. So in Surah Nisa, in verse number 69, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, well, let me read this, Sirat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim, that this is the path of those upon whom you have sent your in'amat, upon whom you have showered your favor, showered your blessings. So who are those people? So in Surah Nisa, Surah number 4, verse number 69, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-ladina an'amullahu alayhim minan nabiyyini wa siddiqini wa shuhada'i wa salihin. That those groups upon whom Allah Ta'ala an'amallahu, that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala sent His inamat on them. There are four categories mentioned. The first group is the Nabiyyin, the Anbiya, the Mursaleen, the Prophets. The second that is mentioned is the Siddiqeen. Who are the Siddiqeen? The Siddiqeen are the truest of the followers of the Prophets. That's why Sayyidina Abu Bakr had this luck of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. The Siddiqeen are the ones who kamilan followed the Prophet. And what did the Prophet bring? The Prophet brought that wahi, that Qur'an and that sunnah. So the Siddiqeen are the ones who are true to the prophetic teaching, the true heirs, the true bearers of that Qur'an and sunnah. Those are the Siddiqeen. The third group mentioned is the Shuhada. The Shuhada, in this case, in the first instance, are literally the martyrs. Those who were so dedicated to their deen, right, that they sacrificed their life for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they were martyred for, for defending and propagating this deen. And the fourth category, and there's a tertib here obviously, because the Nabiin are the most abzal, then the Siddiqeen, then the Shuhada, and then the Salihin. Salihin is a group of mu'mineen that they make themselves salih, they make themselves righteous, they make themselves pious, they make themselves upright. They're the upright believers. They might not be the most greatest rank like the Siddiqeen, but whatever they do, they're upright, they're honest, they're fulfilling the Qur'an and Sunnah in an upright, pious, righteous way. So in other words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying something here. And this is also part of His mercy. That when He's telling us to make this dua, to have hidayah to the Salat al-Mustaqim, Allah ta'ala is saying that don't worry. This is a well-trodden path. This is not a path where nobody before you has ever succeeded. This is the path where there are plenty of footsteps. And it's also teaching us that in our deen, and Allah is making clear on the first page, it's not just about kitab, it's not just about kutub, it's also about rijal, rijalullah. It's about people. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always sent a book with a messenger. He never ever sent a book without a messenger, but He has sent messengers without books. And you remember from this morning, that that prophet that comes with scriptures called a rasul, and that prophet that comes without scriptures called a nabi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent many anbiya also. So it means that hidayah, certainly this book is an answer to that dua for hidayah, but another way of hidayah is those people. They are hidayah for you. The nabiyin are hidayah, the siddiqin are hidayah, the shuhada are hidayah, the salihin are hidayah. So it means we take hidayah from human beings. Right? And that part remains alive today. Because the nabiyin have passed. The Prophet was khatamun nabiyin. Right, but there has not been a Khatam al-Siddiqeen yet. The Siddiqeen are still alive. The Shuhada will still exist or, or pass away or come to be amongst us. And the Salihin will always still be there. So we are looking at the Nabiyin in terms of the past. And we will also look at the Siddiqeen and Shuhada and Salihin of the past. But because the Sirat, we will also look at those in the present. So we want to, to be guided to the path of the present day Siddiqeen, Shuhada and Salihin. That's part of this Dua. 
So that's a very, very important lesson that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is teaching. Now, Akbar illah ibadi. I'll put this in an Urdu poem, because my Urdu is not proper. I don't even remember the Urdu. But I will tell you, it's a rough thing in English that he says that nobody can become, uh, what does he say, that there's no self-read doctor or engineer. What in the world makes you think that there will be a self-read Muslim? In other words, that in the first page, Allah is saying that reading the book is not going to be enough for Hidayah. Otherwise, Allah would have said, Ehdina Salat al-Mustaqim, Salat al-Quran al-Kareem. Or else Allah could have said, Ehdina Salat al-Mustaqim, Salat al-Kitabi wa-Sunnah. Allah could have said that. But what did He chose? He chose to say that. He chose not just to say, declare. But He chose not just to say, Kya'na ne, Kya'na wali baatim, Surah Fatiha. Kya'na na, English, ma kya kenge. He has chose to make us utter, He has chose to make us make this dua. He's creating a mentality, an understanding in us that we want to follow the deen, we want you to, we want you to guide us. To who? We want you to guide us to the syndicate. We want you to guide us to the shahada. We want you to guide us to the salihin. Why? Because those are the people who are on the path that we need to be on. Or those are the people who are mustaqim, who are regularly established on that path that we are yet wavering or faltering on. This is what Allah Ta'ala is saying in the Quran al-Kareem. And then He's going to say the opposite. And what's the opposite? He's not going to say, Salatul Kitab wa ghayr shaitan wa nafs. No. The opposite is also going to be humans. The opposite is also going to be humans. Ghayr al-maghdubi alayhim. Don't guide us to the path of those people. We don't want to be on that path, which is also a trodden path. That also is people who have treaded before us. We don't want to be on the path of Abu Jahl, of Abu Lahab, of Fir'aun, of Nimrud. They are people who have treaded that path before. The people upon who have gotten your ghalab, as opposed to your, in your in'am, as opposed to your in'amat. They are people who have gotten your wrath, your anger. Right? What does that mean? How do you get the wrath and anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Two ways. Disbelief and disobedience. It's very simple. That's it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very clear cut and simple in the way He deals with His ibad. You bring to Him belief and obedience, you're said it's all good. And you dare to bring disbelief at any level or disobedience at any level, then that brings the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This needs to be explained. What is the anger? Right? When the English word anger suggests to Urdu word ghussa. And normally for us, anger is something that's blameworthy. It's not a good thing. Right? The anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is different. It's not that Allah ta'ala naraz. I mean, you can say that in the tarjima, Right? But it's not a narazgi or anger the way me and you get angry at one another or angry at others or others get angry. It's not what it means. The ghazab of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is from his sifati jalaliyah, from his sifati azmat. That His Majesty, His Might, His Power, His Greatness demand and dictate that He should be obeyed and followed. He's up. And if somebody doesn't do that, if somebody spurns Him or rejects Him completely in disbelief or partially which means disobedience, right? Then it's the taqaza of His jalal, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gets, I mean for lack of a better word, what we call a wrath or an anger or a punishment, Right? That invokes the jalal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we don't want to be, right, on the path of such people. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends, وَلَوَّلِينَ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, don't put us on the path, right, of those who have gone astray. Lawlin is also mubalaga. It's the people of the dalala. The people of the dalala. The people who have gone astray. The people who are misguided. The people who lost the hidayah. 
The first group are the people who lost the itaat, lost the obedience, or lost the iman, lost the belief. The second group of people who are the people who lost the hidayah. Obviously, so if you want the hidayah, you would make sense to make dua that you don't want to fall into what is the opposite of hidayah. There are some mufassirs who using the Qur'an al-Kareem find that this word ghazab in Surah Al-Ma'idah and Surah Baqarah, this very same surah, this coming surah number 2, verse number 90, Allah Ta'ala has used this word ghazab for the Jews, right? So some have suggested that غَيْرَ مَغْدُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ means the Jews. It may mean the Jews. This much we can say for certainty. It doesn't mean only the Jews. There can be any and all groups of people or any and all individuals who may have gotten that ghazab. Similarly in Surah Maida, which is the fifth Surah of the Quran, verse number 177, there's a mention here of the Ahl Kitab, which some take to mean the Nasara in that context, of being lolling, of being astray. So sometimes you will see in a commentary, right, sometimes will be, people will be so bold as to put it in brackets. Putting in brackets is too extreme. You cannot put it in the Tarjuma, Maghdib alayhim, bracket Jews, Waladali in bracket Christians, no, no, because that makes it as if they, they and they alone and specifically are the Murad, of this mafum, No. Right. There are other verses that suggest that they were some of the Bani Israel, a large portion of them, who got the ghazab of Allah. And there was a portion of the Nasara that fell into misguidance. Right. And certainly, then they would be included in this verse. Now, if you look at the tertib of this, Right? What is the tertim that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala overall found in the Qur'an al-Kareem? Number one, praise, acclamation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number two, a pledge. Iyakunab is basically a pledge or an oath to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the third thing was prayer. Ihdina until the end, that is prayer. So this is the tertim of our life. This is also a tertib that we should offer. Some, some people say that you should offer the same tertib in du'a. That you should begin your du'a with the hamd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then in your du'a you should do tajdeed of iman. You should re-pledge yourself to Him. And then in the du'a you should ask number one, for spiritual benefit, for hidayah, for taqwa, for quwwata iman, etc., etc. And then after that, right, this is the adab of the tertib of du'a. Then after that you can make du'a for things of this world, such as job, or spouse, or health, or... Uh, purified wealth, etc., etc. And because of this du'a aspect of it, even though it's not here in the Qur'an al-Kareem, in the text, but the Prophet some taught that when you recite this verse in Salah, that everybody who recites it or everybody who listens to it should say Amin, right? And Amin is basically for emphasis, to certify, to once again say this as a du'a. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this Surah al-Fatiha as the Fatih or as the opening of our Dursa Quran series in this month of Ramadan and that will continue afterwards. Wa akhirun da'wana. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.